Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 143, recorded October 24th, 2013. So this will be our 11th of the ongoing series, and we're covering uh, IDW's uh, ongoing issues 23, 24, and 25. Yes, back in the movie reboot universe, which right. is uh, a, a good and entertaining. I like these IDWs. Yes, I, I, I like seeing what they're doing with the reboot of the franchise and and Taws. So, continuing good stuff coming from the IDW folks. Right. So we're doing um, the last issue of the three-parter After Darkness, followed by a one-off starring everybody's favorite reptilian villain from the original series. And then we start off a mini-series entitled The Kittimer Conflict, part one ah, of four. The Kittimer Colony, yes. Sound familiar? Yes, quite familiar. But exactly, it, it, it turns out a little differently in, uh, in, this, in this reboot world. So it's kind of interesting. They definitely take some liberties with it. They do. They do. Now, uh... Planet Kittermer never came up in Taws. However, obviously it did in Next Gen. So um, it is interesting how they make use of a Next Gen reference in uh, in this comic, right? Or in these comics. Yep. So we'll get that. We'll get to that soon. Very, very soon. Cool. But in the meantime, we've got to wrap up and find out what happens to Hulk Spock. <laughs> Yes, Hulk Spock smash. <laughs> That's right, punny, punny humans, punny Kirk. That's right. <laughs> so we get to see more of Spock and his Hulk-like uh, companions uh, that are hanging out in volcanoes and with red eyes and uh, ripped pants and no shirts, and they're very angry. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> they're rage monsters. Indeed. Well, you want to jump right into it? Let's do it. I want, I want to see what happens. All right. Okay, so we're going to be doing uh, ongoing number 23. There is no title, uh, so I christen it Rage Monster Spock. Published date is July 2013. Creative team is made up of writer Mike Johnson, story consultant Roberto Orki, artists Erfan Fajar and... Igri Karu Naiwan. All right, hope I got that okay. Colors, uh, Sakti Yawano and Ifan Saya Noor of Stellar Lab. Letterer is Neil Yuitaki and editor is Scott Dunbuyer. The regular cover is dominated by Starfleet swoosh in the center with a profile of Kirk's face mostly in shadow. The Enterprise is flying towards the reader. The rest of the cover is a space background with colorful gas thrown uh, in to provide some eye candy. 
At the bottom right, there are the words After Darkness. The RIA cover, uh, first alternate cover, is the black and white version of the main cover. The RIB cover is a photo from Star Trek Into Darkness of Spock in his volcano suit in the uh, angry volcano. Previously on Star Trek Ongoing. The events of Star Trek Into Darkness are recently behind Kirk and the crew. Shadowy elements of Section 31 are trying to trigger a war between the Romulans and Klingons. On the Enterprise, Commander Spock goes all emotional and violent. He is diagnosed with Ponfar, so the Enterprise heads to New Vulcan with all dispatch. On arrival, Spock goes completely over the top and becomes a psycho-hyper-emotional, violent Ponfar rage machine. Spock heads out into the New Vulcan wilderness and finds others like him who are suffering the effects of a hyper-Ponfar state. Kirk contacts Dupring and lands on a plan to retrieve Spock. The story opens in a volcano on New Vulcan. Kirk and his landing party are facing Spock and his other Vulcan comrades that are all under the influence of Super Ponfar. Their eyes are red, and they angrily attack the landing party. Kirk and company fire at them with phasers set to heavy stun. It gains them some time, but the Vulcans keep coming at them. They are finally forced to beam up without retrieving Spock. Later on the Enterprise, Kirk is speaking to T'Pring, who is on New Vulcan. T'Pring says Spock and the rest are lost to them. The violence and rage they show towards Kirk's landing party seems to be a permanent state. It is a state upon far they have never seen before. It's likely due to them not having access to the original planet Vulcan to help them overcome the Ponfar. Since Vulcan was destroyed, they will never be able to access their home world again. Tepring says it is most logical to accept the fact and leave them in peace. Kirk says he is not so good with purely logical responses to a crisis. They end their conversation. Later in the brig, Kirk tells Scotty and McCoy that he wants to beam Spock and his 24 BFFs into the holding cells. Scotty says he is daft. Kirk says do it anyway. The 25 Vulcans just happen to be milling about on some cooling lava flows when they are beamed up to the ship. Scotty reports they are safely in the holding cells. Chekhov tells Kirk he and Lieutenant Marcus have an unorthodox idea to bring Vulcan back, in a manner of speaking. Later, in a briefing room, Chekhov explains that whenever they transport someone to or from a planet's surface, they take very detailed scans of the planetary environment so they can compensate for variances between the shipboard environment and the planet. They propose to use their records of Vulcan taken from previous beaming activity and manipulate the transporter to think it's beaming to or from Vulcan. Scotty confirms that it is possible. Carol explains further that if indeed part of the passage through Ponfar and back to a normal emotional state requires the link Vulcans may have to their home world, then this transporter technique may provide a close enough approximation to cure them. McCoy says the whole thing sounds crazy to him, 
but if the technicians think they can pull this off, he will sign off on it. Kirk gives the order to make it so. I mean, let's do it. Meanwhile, Ohura is in the brig trying to get through to Spock with a chess piece and the story of when she could tell that Spock fell in love with her. She ends the story telling Spock she will always love him. Spock seems calm, as if the story had gotten through to him. Just then, Chekhov and Scotty engage the transporter, and they try the cure. They beam Spock and his 24 compadres down to the planet's surface, but with the manipulations that will simulate the environment of the original Vulcan environment. It works. Their eyes are back to normal, and appear to be back to normal in all other ways. They transport Spock back to the ship. With no shirt, tattered pants, and bare feet, Spock simply apologizes for his appearance. They know he is back to normal. Later, on the bridge, Kirk and Spock are speaking to Dupring. She says the treatment they undertook, at great risk, has given the Vulcans a start for a long-term cure for future incidents of Ponfar. Spock tells Dupring that he is sorry, but he will continue his duties on the Enterprise. She says Spock is in the correct place on the Enterprise, and she is in the correct place on New Vulcan. She wishes him well and to prosper. Elsewhere, the Mystery Federation woman from Section 31 is in the shadow speaking to someone else. They report the Enterprise is leaving New Vulcan and that they will maintain surveillance on her. They change the conversation to the Klingon fleet approaching the edge of their sector on their way to Orion, as they anticipated. The Vulcan fleet is en route to meet the shadowy Section 31 people at Kittimer. The other figure asks the Mystery Woman if they will inform the Romulans of the next step in their grand plan. The mystery woman says no. Why not have the Romulans fight our battles for us? When the time is right, all will be revealed as the scene pans to 11 con-designed long-range high-yield torpedoes. The end for now. So that's where those torpedoes went to. Yeah, so these con-designed torpedoes must be some pretty powerful stuff, I must say. Right. Well... 70 of them, it took 70 of them to blow up the Vengeance. Oh, but, yeah. But you didn't... You know, that's a very good point, because if they were... I love making good points. Okay, but <laughs> but the thing is, um, most of those torpedoes were useless because there were people in them. Right? I mean, you can't fit people in them and uh, be able to fit fuel and fit explosives. So something had to give. Right. So then what would have happened if Kirk really did shoot those missiles towards um Kronos? All those people would have all those people would have went splat. But the thing is, Marcus Marcus did want to kill Khan, so the only way he wouldn't have been able to well, the concussive force of X number of torpedoes with no explosives hitting a surface. Uh I don't know, maybe that would have killed him, but I mean, there was explosives because they did explode in well, engines. Yeah, but they also, yeah, they also rigged one of them to go off, not all of them. Mm, I thought they all went off. 
Well, okay. They rigged one of them to go off. Now, that one that was rigged to go off uh, trigger, would have triggered explosives in the other ones if they were there. But they didn't they didn't rig them all to go off, just the one. They say that in the movie, or are you getting this from they, the novel? I'm getting it from the novel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so sorry about that. But they went into a lot more de- detail in basically... If they if they set if they trigger them all to go off, then as uh, Khan was beaming them over, he could have noticed. Okay. So being clever people, they only set one of them to to actually detonate, which would have caused a chain reaction and did cause a chain reaction. Right. Well, that makes you sense, know, but yeah. it's not explained in the movie that way. I know. I know. Sorry. That's fine. Yeah. There's there's a lot more detail in the book. Well, makes sense. Yeah, almost too much detail. I mean, they were—they really went into that whole section. Sorry, about not about bringing in information that probably everyone is not privy to. Right. Hmm. Okay, that's fine. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but the thing—the thing that annoys me is, on the one hand, how could you fit a cryotube in a relatively small torpedo? And propellant, and um, and explosives, because these are supposed to be like really powerful, explo- you know, explosive devices, right? Right. Long range, so you'd need to have some kind of decent range engine in it, you know, running off of something. Um. Anyway, how you fit all those three things? P- a cryo, a person, a cryotube, you know, propellant of some kind. Um, you know, whether it be an, a little mini impulse engine or whatever, uh, <laughs> plus high yield explosive. How do you fit all that in? Right. To something yeah. that really isn't that much bigger than, a, you, know, you know, how many feet long are those things? Ten feet long? You know, it's not that much long, you know, bigger than a person. Right. I don't think, I think they're more like seven feet long. Right. So, even more so. Right. Yeah, and how is it going to get from, you know, the border of the Klingon Empire to Kronos uh, on whatever whatever propellant it has and in any type of timely fashion where it couldn't be shot out, out of the sky yeah. while it was on right. its way? So does it have a little warp drive where it just warps to the planet? <laughs> Let's hope not. That would really be amazing to fit that in there. Uh, so, yeah, but we really don't. These Section 31 people are pretty far, uh, pretty cagey and smart. So you do, you really don't know where they're gonna fire those from. Yeah. True. True. I mean, they're they're def as we will see in the upcoming issues, they are playing a really cagey game. I mean, a high stakes game. I mean, well, I don't want to give things away, but well, I think I think they've. They've been showing you in these last few episodes or last few issues that they're willing to pit the Romulans and the Klingons against each other for yeah. for their own purposes. Exactly, which is amazing because in the Star Trek universe, traditionally, um, it's always the Federation and the Enterprise folks that are always the shiny do-gooders with you know the white hats on. And they're having to react to the cunning villainy 
of the Romulans or the Klingons or whoever the, the bad guys happen to be. But in right. this case, oh, it's us. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Not us. It's Section 31, completely ah, separate. All humans. All humans. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're definitely the instigators, or at least humans are the instigators in this. Right. Well, Admiral Marcus was part of Starfleet. I mean, he was the head of Starfleet, he right? He was the head of Starfleet, yeah. So, and obviously he was completely in bed with Section 31. Hell, he may have, well, I don't know who started Section 31, but obviously Marcus was really in bed with him, so. Right. Well, Marcus existed in Archer's time, so if that continuity holds true, then it's been around since the before Starfleet was there. Right. But right. yes, Marcus, that was his uh, his pet projects, it seemed like. Right. Anyways, all right, back to this book. And right, oh. and, and yeah. So, do you have any theories about the people that we're talking at the end from Section Thirty One? Uh, no, because it doesn't seem to be. You, you mentioned the last episode we did these that it might have been um, mud, but this woman seems to have dark hair, so I don't know if that's true. Okay, I still think it's mud, and not only that, I. <laughs> I hope I didn't mention this in, in the previous uh, episode. I hope I'm not repeating myself. But I have a theory who the other person was, too. April? Exactly. Right. So I think it's April, who has been completely sprung. Because what, a what April was doing, I think, was completely under the auspices of uh, Section 31. Completely. Right. Clearly. Sure. So, um, and, and Mud is Section 31, and they're all, uh, you know... They're all behind all this stuff. And so right. uh, April didn't spend any time in prison because he basically did exactly what Section 31 wanted him to do. Right. And, and the way this guy's standing in silhouette, I mean, he kind of has the shaggy hair that that, that um, April had. Right. So it may be even a, a scruffy beard. So I, I definitely could see it going that way. But her hair still seems lighter and... Or, I don't see nose ridges when it shows her in profile. Right. And, you know, there is such a thing as hair dye. And who knows her original nose ridges could have been prosthetics. I don't know. <gasps> you don't ever cheat on that. <laughs> Kirk did in the Enterprise incident. That's true. But they actually changed their DNA, didn't they? It wasn't just uh, slapping on some fake ears. Oh, was that they did that? Okay. Well, wasn't it the doctor? remember. The doctor's the one who had to do it, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. The doctor's... Yeah. It, it seems like the doctors always had to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, because I thought it was always they somehow changed their DNA so that they actually would pass on scans and stuff as that uh, that species. Right. That would be handier. I really liked the story uh, about how Uhura and Spock got together. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, that was nice. I just didn't want to retell it. Right. Yeah. I, I thought that was it was nice, but it was like it was nice, but it was also kind of okay, I can skip this part. <laughs> no, it, it was cute. It was nice. Yeah. Right. So there is a series of novels called uh, Starfleet Academy, which mm -hmm. is based um during the her time at Starfleet Academy. Um and it has, you know, Ahura and Spock kind of getting together and I read the first book. I haven't read the other ones, but in the first book 
you know, it kind of seems like they're starting to date, and this chess thing never happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that it couldn't have happened in the other books, or it happened, you know, off screen, but it was it was new to me here. Right. So, well, I liked it. I thought that was a nice yeah, little moment. It was nice. It was nice. Uh, I, I thought their technical technique to um, trick the Vulcan Ponfar stuff into saying, oh, I'm on Vulcan again. <laughs> Ping! You're back to normal. <laughs> I, um... Oh, you know, you, did, you didn't I understand. Mm, mm, mm. It was expeditious. And it solved the problem by the end of the issue. So, you know, props on that. It's just... I just, I just, I, I just didn't like it. Sorry. Yeah, I agree. It it seemed way too convenient. Yeah, it it just seemed improbable, so improbable. Uh, and and I didn't think, I mean, you know, the idea that you have to go back, you know, like like salmon coming back to its swimming upstream to the original uh, place that he was hatched, you know, that you know that's cool. And the, and the whole pond far thing, you got to go back to the home world is kind of cool uh, and then of course when Vulcan blew up a lot of fans said well what's going to happen when Pawn Far happens or whatever and uh, and so I'm glad they went back to that right agreed it's, it's like some of the some of the story ideas uh, they're like they're like getting from conventions you know when that <laughs> one guy in the back of the room stands up and just asks that question uh, of JJ or whomever and uh and they're like, uh, yeah, good point. We really hadn't thought of that. Okay, thanks for the question, though. Good point. Good point. Next. We're, we're going to write a story about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I, I I liked that they tried to give it some, you know, credibility with their explanation as far as, you know, the transporter does this already because mm-hmm. it has to, you know, adjust your, you know, the air in your lungs and everything in you so that it matches the air that's on whatever planet they're mailing you or they're uh, mailing you to uh, that they're beaming you to um, I I kind of like the you know techno babble there but it does, still doesn't really make sense and if it did happen then I, I just find it hard to believe it would be so instant well exactly right so right I, I think it's something more than just than just being in the pseudo environment of, of Vulcan for uh, the, the, for the so, nanosecond for, that you're exactly transfer right. yeah you know for the Ponfar to be because because the whole Ponfar thing I mean you had to go home and so you had to be on the planet okay fine but didn't you okay so <laughs> didn't you have to, okay so isn't one way to do it is by doing the nasty um. Uh, but, I don't but think of course, that quite works. But well, but I I thought that was the main way it works. Or or is it always what happened? No, it isn't. It isn't. Okay, so in the original episode, a mock time, um, it's the shock of battle and killing Kirk, which is what snaps Spock out of it. I mean that, and maybe being on Vulcan. Right. So, okay. So at least we know being on Vulcan and having extreme violence. Uh, shocking thing happening uh, that'll get you out of it where what gets them out of it here really really just the exposure to Vulcan for a, a pseudo exactly a pseudo Vulcan mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Not even the real Vulcan. Just a kind of made-up Vulcan for a few seconds, yes. Right. Huh? Yeah. Too convenient. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. They lost uh, me. Yeah. I do like the hazard suits they were wearing when they were on the lava flows. Uh, let me look at them again. They're yeah, those those, uh, those look like the ones that are in the game, kind of. Do they? Yeah. Because yeah. in the game, there's a lot of skydiving. Not really. Yeah, there's skydiving, but then there's also space jumping, and, and their costumes look a lot like this. Right. And, and... what the next issue, those, exactly. those battle garments. Right. So we'll we'll talk about that when we get to the next one. But yeah, and also the fact that you can just have your uh your phaser rifle kind of I don't know, magnetopically adhe- adhered to the back of your suit and you can just grab it out real fast. Uh yeah, otherwise you'd have to put it in some sort of transporter buffer in your belt. <laughs> exactly. Like they did in the other video game. And I got to ask the question. Mhm. If you can do that with a rifle, just like like clinging to your back, then why do you need an old-fashioned leather holster for the hand phaser? Do they do that in these? Because I thought, in the, I thought well, they kind of had them stuck on their Velcro on there like they did in the old show. Well, okay, so I'm, I'm talking about what was established in the TV or in the movies. In the movies. In the right. movies, you're in a good old-fashioned, um, you know, holster. Oh, are they? Yeah, yeah. It went spot. Yeah, just take my word for it. Oh, and I mean... then, um, and then, and if you think, I know you saw that because how could you miss it? Because you, you you even had little leather pockets for your with your communicator as well as your phaser. Um, and now I will mention that in these hazard suits, that there's at least one panel where it looks like there's at least a, a some kind of a holster thing for um, for Kirk anyway. There at the beginning. Near the beginning, right? If this had pages, I would tell you, but one, two, three, four. So at least page four, top of page oh, four, yep. you can see a holster on Kirk. Yeah, where he's shooting but, somebody. Right. You can kind of see it at his hip. I don't know. It's like, if you got the cool thing for your back with the rifle, you know, give me some of that on the on the hip. Although I kind of liked in the first, uh, you know, in the first reboot movie, J.J. Abrams movie, that they just kind of got away from the Velcro and they just had a good old-fashioned holsters. <laughs> they do look cooler that way. Oh, with, with the holsters? holsters. Yeah. 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 You know, kind of like Star Wars. Oops. <laughs> uh, right. Or like most other science fiction franchises. Right. That didn't did that didn't attempt to use Velcro. I don't think it was supposed to be Velcro. It was supposed to be magnetically uh, magic. It was magnetomic adhesion. There you go. That well, that's what it was. The I Star believe. Trek, the Star Trek technical manual, I obsessed over when I was young, told me that. <laughs> oh, nice. it's ma- it's magnetomic adhesion. That sounds just like Velcro. Okay. <laughs> I love in that episode of uh, Enterprise where um, it's based in like the 50s or something, mm-hmm. and it's like an ancestor of T'Pol's, okay. and uh, she, in order to get a little bit of money to try to fix her communicator or whatever so she can contact Vulcans to come get her, right. she has to – she gives humans the uh, the design for 
Velcro. <laughs> so kinda, I don't remember that. Kind of saying that the only reason why us mere humans have Velcro is because Vulcans gave it to us in the fifties. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't remember that. I remember the episode, but I don't remember that detail. Hmm. I think it's called Cold Creek. I think is that that's the name of the episode. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that was a good episode. I really liked it. Yeah, very funny. Uh, just real quick, the. Uh, the one Vulcan, he, he, he gets a job somewhere, and he, he's trying to figure out why everybody tells him that uh, he has a mo haircut. I mean, that's just hilarious. <laughs> that's right. That's good. Yeah, so. Who is Anyways. this mo? <laughs> so I thought beaming up all 25 of the Vulcan, you know, Hulk creatures, I thought to, to the Briggs. I thought that was a great idea. They should have done that in the first place. Right, but they couldn't get transporter locks. Until it's wait, what did they say that? The oh, okay. Well, I mean, that, I thought that was. The I whole thought they reason. just didn't have the idea. Well, they they were saying they had a hard time beaming. Yeah, Scotty said that. Yeah, beaming them there and beaming them away. Right. So they just had to keep saying that it's really, really hard, really, really hard, and then just be able to do it every time. You can't think about it too hard. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I don't want to sound insensitive, but if you're going to test this, why test it on Spock first? <laughs> test it on one of the Vulcans that we're never going to see again. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> but I did like how once they get cured or whatever, the the Vulcan woman then becomes modest. Yes, right. Covering herself up. Oh, my boobies are showing. Let me move my arms. Would you think that, you know, Vulcans probably wouldn't care? They Well, that that definitely is a human thing. You right. can show you can show men's breasts but not women's. Right. And I mean, if everybody's sitting there in tatters after everything they went through, do you think she would have really you know, is it logical that she would be that modest? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Good point. Good point. But again, that was one of those things. Like it's off off on the side, on one panel. So mm-hmm. good point. Anyways, they didn't want us to dwell on it though. Right. And so my last comment is: I don't understand why Spock wore the um, lava suit in Independence. Ah! <laughs> he obviously doesn't need it. He can just stand there in the lava anyways. Yeah, and these guys don't need uh you got you they got a hazard suit, but that's not the lava suit. Right. With the uh with the red mirrors on it and stuff. Right. So lava's hot. I don't care if you're inside the volcano or standing on it. Yeah. It's gonna be just as hot. Right. <laughs> it's gonna melt you no matter what. Yeah. Especially if you're barefoot. Oh my just, god. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. But they're Vulcans. They're from a hot planet. Not that hot. Yeah. Yeah, and when you beam them back down to, you know, reset their clocks or whatever, why beam them back down onto the lava? Why not beam them a mile over where it's nice and just dirt? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If beaming them off the lava was that hard to begin with, I think that I would not beam them right back to where it's hard for me to get them back. Right. Anyways. Yeah. And another thing is, why why are these Amok Vulcans even hanging out in a volcano? They have other options, don't they? 
Yeah, because you pointed out that that planet they they live on now is pretty nice. It is nice. Nice and watery. And yep. Very unvulcan like. Right, but but apparently they do have active volcanoes, which is cool. But that's not everywhere, and it's not right. all desert planet. And it's like you seem to have nicer options than a volcano. <laughs> but that does make it look cooler, doesn't it? It does look cool. Whether yeah. it makes sense or not, it does look cool. Right. Very. The artwork is pretty good. I like the artwork. Yeah. But in general, I do like the artwork here. Yeah. But there are a few where the faces don't look as as realistic. Right. They just don't look as right. But then there are other pages that look really good. Like uh, I'm looking right now at, at one of the pages that shows uh, Spock as a kid, like in mm-hmm. the uh, the reboot, the first reboot movie, and right. that face is great. Really nice, uh, really nice artwork. Right, looks just like him. Right, but then there are other panels where Chekhov looks terrible. Chekhov uh, was one that I was thinking looked a little off. Yeah, and in some cases Ohura too. Uh, the, you know, in some cases the face looks good. In other cases, it just does not look right. I didn't notice her. I noticed Scotty seemed to have a weird hairstyle every once in a while. Right. Anyway, just thought I'd mention that. I, I do have. I just want one thing to say explicitly. Sure. Spock does look like Hulk. Uh, with his outfit, when he is uh, you know, uh, a mock Spock. Sure. Just needs the a I little green tint. Well, and, and maybe red eyes isn't good, uh, but regular, <laughs> you know, non-red eyes, because the Hulk never had red eyes, I don't think. Well, um, the Red Hulk does. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> yeah, the Red Hulk. Uh, you'll have to explain that to me sometime. Sure. Anyway, uh, it's just interesting that when people go really angry, uh, apparently they have to lose their shirt, and the bottoms of their pants need to be ripped. <laughs> Well, it makes sense the bottom of the pants because they're all burning up because uh, they're I, standing on lava. On lava, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'm not, and then of course Hulk's rips because there's so much expansion going on, right? Right. Well, there's probably a lot of expansion at the top too, but somehow it always stays there. Okay. <laughs> next. All right, you done? I am done. All right. Well, next up, as promised, we're going to give. Uh, a hopefully pretty brief uh, explanation as to uh, what happened in the Star Trek video game since uh, issue 24 does have quite a few plot points that come from that game. So we're going to go ahead and talk about it now. All right. So I'm here with a very special guest. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself, sir? My name is Jonathan. And you're here. Why? The Star Trek game. You played the Star Trek game. Yeah, I played the Star Trek game. And did you like it? Yes, and I finished the whole game. You finished the whole game? Yeah, I beat the whole game. And did you play it as Spock, or did you play as Kirk? I played as Kirk, and I I started all over to play as Spock. And which way was better? What was... Was there any differences between playing as the two? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Is the only really big difference is that when you do the sneaky takedown, Spock gets to do the nerve pinch where Kirk chokes them, right? When he does the stealthy takedown? Yeah, Spock just beats them. <laughs> so you liked the game, you played it through, and you liked it enough that you're wanting to try it again. All right, so let's talk about the game. Do you want to talk about the plot of the game? 
the start of it, uh, well, it was like a part of the game. And so there was one part of the game where Spock, uh, there's this bad guy that when he gets like poisoned, he turns into a bad guy, like he's all, some of him is yellow, a lot of him, I don't know. And he's just. And who poisoned him? It's like a robot. Well, let's start. Like, let's start at the beginning. So, okay, so, so who's so, who's the main bad guy in the game? Who who are you fighting for the most part? The Gorns. Gorn. The Gorns. And did you like the Gorn? Yes, I guess. Yeah. Were they hard to fight? Kind of. Yes. Okay. So, and why were you fighting the Gorn? Did you did you understand why you were fighting them? No. <laughs> All right, so in the game, you're, there's a, a rift open in space that opens up our universe or our part of the universe to the Gorn universe, and they're coming in to try to take over, and you, being Captain Kirk or Spock, have to try to defeat the Gorn and save New Vulcan and the rest of the universe, right? And did, was there any Vulcans that you get to interact with? Yeah. There is this girl call, called Tamar and Spock and, and, and her were classmates. Yep. And now she's a scientist, right? She's not? She's not working she's on the Helios device? She is, but she's the captain, like... Like Kirk. Right. She was the head of a scientific team, right? That was doing the Helios device? Yes. And then she gets captured? Yes, by the Gorn. The Gorn. And then they have to go and save her in the other universe. Mm -hmm. And they have to fight the giant Gorns. Yes, those ones are the really, really hard ones. But the but the ones that just are everywhere, they're just, they're kind of hard, but yeah, they're, they're just, if you shoot them, they're just, uh, it's just. They're not as hard. Yeah, yeah. But they're fast though, aren't they? The ones that crawl, crawl on the floor, they're really, really fast. They're going <laughs> If you, if you shoot them with a Gorn's gun, that would just kill them at one one shot. Right. And then what ha What about the ones that are on the walls? The ones that can oh. turn invisible. Yeah, those ones. You have to hack them, and then they'll, they won't turn invisible. Right. So hacking for you guys who haven't played the game is you scan them with your tricorder, and then you can uh, see the invisible ones, or you can also hack... Uh, turrets to uh, be able to attack the Gorn with their own turrets, right? Mm -hmm. So, at the very end, after you've gone to the Gorn universe, defeated them in the little wormhole thing in that big space battle, came back home, say about to save Tamar, and you have to fight a really big Gorn, and then you beat him, then, then what happens to Spock? And so he did that thing that I was mentioning about earlier where he turns into that bad guy 
So Spock turns into a bad guy? Yeah. And then you have to fight fight Spock to the death? No. You just, like, punch him. <laughs> so you just punch him once, or you have to punch him a bunch? Uh, kind of a bunch. Right. And then what happens? Then right when he, you think he's going to die, uh, McCoy shows up and is able to give him an injection to cure him so that he's a good guy again. And then they run off and save Tamar and save the day and it's over. Right? Yeah. So they were playing chess and so Kirk moved and then Spock took him. Then he actually said a bad word, right? Yeah, there's a lot of bad words in that yeah, game. In there. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That's why it's like, that's why it's teen. Yeah, it's a teen game because they say words that I did not necessarily want you to hear. <laughs> so. <laughs> and you loved it, right? Yeah. Was it, it was it a good game? Yeah, it was I don't want it. you to be biased just because we're talking about Star Trek here that you have to say you liked it. Did you like it? Yeah. And so if you were playing as Spock. There would be this, this achievement that's called I Shall Always Be Your Friend. And to, to do it, you have to, you have to leave Kirk alone. You have to get killed by playing as, by playing as Spock and... You have to get killed yourself or you have to let Spock, or you have to let Kirk get killed? Yeah, you have to get killed yourself. Right. And you know why that is? That's because in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, mm -hmm. Spock dies. And when he dies, he holds up his hands, and Kirk puts his hand on his through there. They're holding a piece of glass, so on each side of the glass, they're holding hands, kind of. Mm -hmm. And uh, Spock says, I have been and always shall be your friend. And then he <coughs> dies. Ah! <laughs> and there's another achievement that is live, live long and prosper. And what does that mean? Uh, Who says that? Spock. Right, that's his his salute. His that's called the Vulcan salute. All right, well I guess that's about it. It was a good game. You liked it. I liked it, and hopefully people listening to the podcast liked it. And thank you for uh, coming and talking to us about it for a minute or two. <laughs> so I'll let you go so you can get back to it. Mhm. Bye. All right, well, hopefully that uh, gave everybody the brief synopsis of what happened in the game, and uh, thanks again to our little guest host there for a minute. Yes, excellent job. Excellent job. So after the events of that game, uh, that game ends with them being called to, what is it, Nerubi or something like that, uh, where the volcano is. So that game ends right where the Into Darkness movie starts. Um in the game, just to let you know, there is a pregnant Gorn who does have six tuplets, and uh, they they do bite. <laughs> <laughs> so you know uh, McCoy's little comment there um, when he's about to do his uh, magic on the um, torpedo does have some sort of context, right? So anyway, so this comic. Um, happens obviously after the last issues which happened right after the movie which happened after the game so um, there may still be a Gorn presence here in the universe hmm. so let's find out shall we
Let's. Uh, this issue does not have a title, so I was just calling it Arena, just because that was the only uh, Gorn episode that I could think of. But did you have a more witty name? Because I know you like to rename things. I <laughs> <laughs> yes, airports and things like that. Um, <laughs> I I don't know how how witty it is, but I christened it. Wimpy Kirk and company go hunting kick-ass corn. Hmm. Kiss butt, kick butt corn. corn. It's, a, it's a little long title, but... I know. <laughs> I don't want to ruin anything, but, you know. Kind of explains what happens. All right. So as far as credits go, the writer, uh, story consultant, letterer, and editor, all the same from the previous book, so I won't mention them. But the artwork got split up quite a bit. So in here, the pencils is done by Claudia Balboni. Uh, colors is Arena Florin. Inks, Marina Castaverto. And color assists, Azura Forin and Valentina Kumo. All right. So the uh, the original, or the, the main cover, shows... Uh, the Starfleet swoosh again. Everything's kind of tinted green, so it's a it's a very green cover. Uh, within the Starfleet swoosh, we see a Gorn's face kind of poking out, uh, and this is the Gorn from the video game, not the Gorn that we've seen in the uh, classic uh, Taz episode or the uh, CGI version from Enterprise. So standing next to the uh, Gorn face, we see Kirk. Uh, it's a shot of him from his knees up standing, uh, and he's kind of pouting towards the reader in that uh, um, Chris Pine kind of pouty face. Uh, the second cover is the black and white version of the main cover, and then the photo cover is a shot of the Gorn from the episode Arena, which looks nothing like the Gorn on the uh, cover itself. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. So the story starts off with Kirk's personal log informing us that he's been plagued with nightmares. Not nightmares about fighting Khan and then dying and then being brought back to life. No, his nightmares are of the mighty Gorn warriors and the events that transpired in the Star Trek video game. After he's little personal log then we uh, get to the main story and the enterprise is being uh, sent to planet parthenon 559 they are responding to a distress signal the only signal that's coming from the planet is a plea that simply says help us kirk sulu a woman named zara and the green-skinned male named kaya suit up in their battle suits uh, and these are the same suits that we had in the game they scan the area and they find a shuttle that's been badly damaged when they open the craft they find a few injured humans one man is able to croak out a single word gorn before he passes out later the humans have been beamed up to mccoy's sickbay and their wounds have been attended to the leader of the group informs Kirk that they are a scouting mining team and that the planet below is an absolute gold mine. They were performing normal planetary scans when they were attacked by the Gorn. 
Kirk tells him that they will capture the Gorn from the planet. With this, the man is shocked. The Gorn should be exterminated, not herded up. They are killing machines, pure and simple. He obviously does not like the Gorn. So Spock and Kirk leave the sickbay, and they discuss the possibilities that these Gorn are either a new invasion force that somehow found another way to get to this side of the universe, or they're stragglers from the first attack fleet that had somehow landed on this planet instead of being pushed back to their home section. Later on the bridge, Chekhov informs the captain that he's located the Gorn on the surface of the planet. With the location coordinates, Kirk beams down with an attack party. Ohora is able to give him a universal translator in case they have an opportunity to speak to the creatures. On the planet, as they're approaching the campsite, they are attacked by some unseen sentries. Once the firing starts, Morgorn rush from the camp to join the fray. Instead of using lethal force, these Gorn seem to be content with just knocking out the crew, which is lucky because very soon all the humans are overpowered and unconscious. On the ship, Ohora informs Spock that she's lost contact with the away team and is completely unable to get any lock on their life signs. Back on the planet, Kirk and his team wake up in a Gorn hut. Their mouths have been covered with some green slime so that they cannot yell or speak out. A Gorn leader of some sort tells them that they were foolish to attack. And he tells them that they give the humans what the humans gave them, blood and death. The Gorn then rips the slime from Kirk's mouth. Kirk tells this Gorn that he has seen firsthand what the Gorn can give, both here at the settlement and also in the attack force. The Gorn then says, we are not those Gorn. Back on the Enterprise, Chekhov has been able to access the settlement's mainframe, and they are able to watch the footage of what they originally think may be the Gorn attack on the settlement. But they soon notice that this is actually an attack on the Gorn and being attacked by the humans. And we see uh, Gorn being killed while they're unarmed. It's a massacre. Back on the planet, the lead Gorn is telling Kirk that they are a clan that came with the original attack fleet, but they defected out of a desire to leave peaceful lives. They chose this planet to settle on. Before he can get further into his conversation, Spock then arrives and tells the rest of the story. That these Gorn arrived on the planet, but soon the humans arrived and started to attack for no reason. After a slaughter of many Gorn lives, the Gorn retaliated and attacked the settlement itself, but only as a deterrent to the consistent attacks by the humans. With this evidence, it's hard to argue that it was not self-defense as the Gorn had been claiming all along. Later aboard the Enterprise, the leader of the mining team is furious with Kirk's decision to give the planet to the Gorn. The man tells Kirk that he is pathetic to have all this power and to be afraid to use it. Kirk corrects him and says that the true point of power is to know how to use it. 
Once Spock and Kirk leave the room, they discuss that the mining company will petition for the right to return to the planet. They have only delayed another meeting of the humans and the Gorn. Kirk tells him that the Federation and Starfleet need to start taking a less preemptive approach. The end. I don't know about that, a less preemptive approach. When Kirk was getting, and everybody was getting their butts kicked, I was just itching to say, Hey, Kirk, put together a bamboo BFG and blast those Gorn. Come on, man. You guys are you guys getting picked off like like amateurs with your big with your big fancy battle suits and everything. <laughs> well, I think he was talking about just blasting them from orbit. Yeah, yeah. Which is what Marcus would have done. Well, well, that or else you could you could have sent in more, uh, a bigger party. I mean, and do I mean, what though? Because I mean, half of them half of them are dead. You can slaughter the rest. I think that's his point. He doesn't want to slaughter them just well, because I, I agree they may that. be a they I may be a thorn in the side later. Well, there aren't that many of them, so I mean, unless they have amazing reproductive pro- proclivities, um, you know, it's it's a small uh, it's a small group of Gorns. We will someday get to the Gorn reproductive uh, cycles. In a next generation graphic novel called The Gorn Crisis. Oh. And they do have an interesting reproductive process. So look forward to talking about that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they can reproduce quickly. Uh, if I remember that episode or that yeah. issue, yes. Because the Gorn encampment looked like it had, what, like maybe 25 or so buildings. And if, you know, X, you know, if half the people were killed. By the miners, right. mm-hmm. you know, isn't that big a group? But right to be worrying about, but yeah. So, but these are peaceful Gorn. But I gotta tell you, they sure don't look peaceful in Kirk's dreams. At the beginning of the book, they look really nasty. Well, in the game, they're really nasty. Yeah, and uh, not the easiest guys to kill. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. So. I do like the way they're depicted here, and I do like the, uh, you know, revisionist version of the Gorn. Obviously, these Gorn do not look like a guy in a rubber suit <laughs> stumbling around with a rock over his head. Yeah, and purposely saying, okay, now what you need to do in this scene is go really slow. <laughs> right. So obviously, they're, they're a much more interesting race, but it's like, I used to love that episode, Arena. Huh. On well, the original show, I used to love that episode, and um, and there's something about that old Gorn schlocky outfit. Oh yeah, I just I just I did love that, and even though you know props to the re revisionary, uh, very much more frightening and formidable Gorn uh, visage, I think um, it's just something about the old original Gorn I really like, and that's why I'm glad they put him. Or you know the original Gorn on one of the alternate covers, and I did try to buy that. Oh but really? On, on Lone Star Comics, they didn't have any. Oh, if they did have it, it would be a little pricey, I think. Yeah. Those, those photo covers, for whatever reason, get kind Rare. of pricey. Yeah. Well, I'm not crazy about the photo covers in general. I mean, they're kind of—I think they're kind of lazy. But uh, this particular one, uh, <laughs> I would love that. So in the game, there's different. Um, species or different versions of the Gorn. They have mm-hmm. quite a few different uh, 
designs. Right. These guys are like the you know the the main troops, the ones that you fight right. the most time. Right. But uh, there are there are ones that are kind of bruisers or whatever, or you know very, you know that that you have just like a one on one fight with. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like boss battles. And one right. of them has, you know, he's a lot bigger than the Gorn was in that episode, but he has that type of head, so he looks oh. a little like. Uh, the original Gorn. Oh, okay. Which I, I no, thought that's pretty good. So they yeah. tried to explain that a little bit. Right, right. That that's just one of the species of that make up the Gorn Empire. Right. So like smooth-headed Klingons versus bumpy-headed Klingons, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. So I thought that was good. That, I mean, at least they they tried. I mean, we've only seen two Gorn ever on screen, so. Right. Yeah. So you've just seen the same species, but that's just a really small part of the the overall Gorn Empire. Right. Cool. So I like that. I thought it was good. Yeah. I'll just say I'm not. I mean, obviously they had the the Gorns had to whip Kirk's butt and the mm-hmm. landing party, um, so that they could find out what the truth and everything. It's just I really hate when they were so handily taken out. And what's amazing is. Uh, and I didn't get very, I haven't gotten very far yet in the game, but obviously Kirk and Spock in the video game <laughs> it gets pretty far and they're all alone. Right, I was yet, gonna say that. Yeah, here's a landing party that has, uh, what, five people at least, maybe six? Oh, actually, uh, Sulu and some other chick is down there too. Right, so like they, seven people. Right, so it's like they couldn't, they were just, they were just bozos. They were so ineffective. Right, I, I was gonna make that comment too. I was like, man, if I was playing the game, it would just, it'd just, because, <laughs> because in the game, if you're playing by yourself, the AI is horrible for the other person. So yeah. Spock would run off into the corner and just be like running into the wall. So you, <laughs> you can't ever count on the second player to give you any type of assistance. So oh. it would all just be you. Okay, uh, that's one of the criticisms that the the game has uh, that people complain about the game yeah but but you know what i played the whole game and i didn't ever need him so it's not like well that's you know, you because they probably apart. yeah because of course they, they geared it that way right i mean they, they do all kinds of things in video games as you're well well aware where they're fine-tuning exactly how hard it is or not right uh, just if they knew they had a weak ai that's not going to help you much you know they're going to gear the game to you only fights Right. So the main the main reason why you probably need your your buddy uh or the uh the computer controlled buddy is right. when you when you get hurt and you'll fall to the ground, you have a certain amount of time for the other person to revive you. Right. But the game is smart enough to know that if your AI is stuck in a wall or something <laughs> that instead of you dying, just all of a sudden you'll stand back up even though Spock's nowhere near you. Right. So uh, I did think that the you know obviously the people who made the game knew that that was a bug. They didn't have time to fix it for whatever reason, so right. they they didn't make it a hard fast rule that you will die. Right. So I don't know. Is it a perfect game? No, but I I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah, the so, parts I I played uh, I enjoyed just because it's Star Trek. Come on, yeah. There's definitely worse Star Trek games out there. How about I just throw that out there? <laughs> well, the one that came out on um, on Mac, and I, I think it was a DAC or something like that. Yeah, Star Trek DAC. I did not like that game. 
no, it was it was okay. I mean, it looked nice, but it was just some kind of a, uh, I don't know, some kind of weird retro clone of some old video game I know I played before. Right. But no, we were going to have the Enterprise in there. Bing! Yeah. <laughs> Right, and and the one before that, the uh, mobile only game uh, yeah. that came out in two thousand nine, that one was actually pretty fun. But I mean, it wasn't terribly hard. Right. But uh, it was something that you could play around with on your iPhone or or whatever, you know, during a meeting and. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, Donovan. Donovan. Oh, sorry. I was cleaning. I was killing Klingons. What'd you say? <laughs> We want your figures for that acquisition we were going to do. All right, so uh, did you notice something in this issue that I had never seen or heard in this new J.J. Abrams universe? Gorns use white, weird-looking pistols? Nope, I already knew that. What? Okay, I didn't. Uh, The miner guy actually calls the Enterprise a Constitution-class Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, Yes, Uh, that is a note of mine. I was very happy to see that reference. Right. But does that make sense? I mean, is it in this new continuity since it looks nothing like a real Constitution-class ship? Well, wait a minute. It's the real Constitution-class ship for for this universe. What do you mean it doesn't look like... Of course well, it, it doesn't does. look like a Taz one. Right. I don't know. I always thought that maybe they had the original designs for a Constitution-class ship, but they scrapped it once Nero came and, and blew up their ship so easily that they decided to make a bigger and badder ship. Yeah, interesting. But they could have <laughs> called it anything. I mean, they yeah, yeah, they could have yeah. called it Constitution Class still. Which obviously they did. Yeah. So, uh, did you notice on the cover when they have the previously on section right. that uh, it seemed like that was a previously on that should have been on issue 23? Because nowhere in there do they talk about the conclusion of yeah. 23. It's all like, yep. will they be able to uh, cure Spock of his pond far? Yep. Turn the page and find out. Yep. That was last issue, dude. I've yeah. known that for a month. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of makes yeah, me it, wonder if that was uh, supposed to be a four-parter and maybe they just chopped it into three or if it was just a complete I, I think it was just mess a mess. Up. I think it was just a mess. Because it's not the exact same. It's not word for word the same one that's on page on on issue twenty three. But oh, not it's at all. Basically, saying the same thing. Be, well, except that issue twenty three goes um, goes further it back. covers different goes further back and covers other territory. It mentions uh, section thirty one secret plot directly. Right, right. It talks about following the events of Star Trek into Darkness. So it covers a lot more territory than 24's uh, previously on Star Trek. Right. Seemed weird. Yeah, I agree. They should have said something about the resolution, at least in 23. Exactly. If all you're going to talk about is the whole Ponfar thing, at least talk about how it was resolved. Right, instead of leading, or instead of ending, will he be able to get his mind restored to his normal logical state, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, they did. Yeah, and uh, you see it pretty quickly in issue 24. <laughs> right, he's normal. Yeah, he's there on the bridge with everybody else, full of his arms. Anyway. Give an attitude. I like the battle suits at the beginning, um, but I'd like to know a little bit more, and probably pl- because you played the game, I'd mm-hmm. like to know a little bit more about what advantages the battle suits gives you. 
you can fly. You can fly? Well, that's pretty cool. Why didn't they do that when they were attacked by the Gorns? Uh, Jeez. It's, it's basically like the, uh, you know, um, space diving. Get, they have like a little, like an electrical type webbing type underneath their arm. It gives them Oh, they can glide. Abilities. They yeah. can glide. So they can't actually lift off the ground. Okay. Nope. nope. I was getting excited there for a minute. That would have been cool. <laughs> no, it's more of a gliding thing. Okay. Well, that's fine. So, you know, kind of like a Batman Begins kind of thing. Okay, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, or like Rocky, Rocky the Fly Squirrel. I would take either one of those. <laughs> <laughs> We'd accept either answer. Wink. All right, good. Uh, so I cool, very cool. So I assume it's also maybe nobody can knife you with it, or uh, no, the Gorn can still get you pretty good. Um, okay. The the helmet can miraculously appear and disappear whenever you need to go into space, you know, uh, or a section of the station that has gas or something you can just the next scene you suddenly have a helmet so okay, uh, well. I guess it appears from somewhere maybe like uh, you know lost in space just off screen it goes yeah it's right. on like the movie lost in space not the old yeah, TV show exactly which by the way I thought that was a pretty cool outfit uh, uh, major what is what's his face hat on uh, West West major West exactly major West I liked that movie. I thought so the movie was really good. I I, I I thought the time travel bit was a little hokey, but any yeah, but it, but at least time exp- travel things always going to have problems. Exactly, but at least they explained how they built the robot. Because at the beginning of that movie, those robots were lame. So <laughs> like, wait, wait a minute, that's not going to be the regular robot, is it? Come on. Anyway, my biggest complaint about that movie, and we are off topic again, but okay. I really wish the old. Uh, um, ah, drawing a blank. What's his name? Doctor uh, Smith? No, the Roy. No, not Roy. Roy. What's the name of the little boy? Oh, Will. 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 Yeah, my only complaint is that the they have old Will in there, and yeah. it should have been played by Bill Mummy. <laughs> it, it should have been. There's no excuse why he's not the old money? Will. Mummy. And his name Mummy. No, no money. Ah, uh, but the other ones were in it. Uh, the mom and yeah, the sister. Little cameos. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a perfect cameo for him. Well, you know, he's a busy director. You know, who knows? But yeah, that would have been a good casting. That would have been great casting. Yeah. I would have given a lot of fan service to the yeah. to the fans. So. Yeah. And that would have been a nice juicy role. Yeah. I mean, he could have actually been do- doing something more than just having a little, hey, I'm here. Okay, thanks. Bye. Have a good time in the movie. Well, maybe when that movie was being made, it was during the heyday of Battles, um, Babylon 5. And wasn't he a regular on that? Uh, he was a regular on Babylon 5. Yes, he was. Uh-huh. So maybe he just couldn't, he couldn't find get the away. time. He was busy having a career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's he doing now? <laughs> uh, nothing. All right. I thought it was a little ridiculous how at the beginning the Gorns are depicted as this bloodthirsty thing at first. Mm-hmm. That's in Kirk's Nightmares. And then they kick Kirk and company's butt totally. And then in the end, they turn out to be really nice guys. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, it's so nice that they'd have like, uh, you know, they'd be able to make you a bunk cake or something. They are just nice guys. <laughs> that's funny. I don't think they were that nice, but well, yes. they were pretty nice. They didn't kill them while they were all no. unconscious, which is convenient. 
<laughs> yeah, plus they were basically, you know, when especially when Spock came down and starts explaining things, it's almost like you almost expect the Gorns to be going, yeah, see, listen to that guy, yeah, see, what do we tell you? Him, yeah. They weren't nice to us, so we slaughtered them. All right. There is a little bit of a joke there where after Spock's little explanation, he says, you speak truth, human. And then oh, Spock's yeah. like, eh, half human, but uh, that's not irrelevant to this conversation. That's right, exactly. It was a good little joke. That was good. Uh, last last comment is, I do not remember the original Taz episode uh, talk about the origins of the Gorn, mm-hmm. but I had the distinct impression that they were just another Alpha Quadrant species that was hanging out on their X number of planets that they had colonized and came up originally on, developed from originally, and they're just hanging out like everybody else. But in the reboot, they come from a different dimension? Is that uh, it? It's not a different dimension. It's a different part of the galaxy that's a good ways away that uh, the uh, scientists on New Vulcan were creating this energy device called the the Helios right. device, and it created basically a wormhole that allowed the... That gave a shortcut for the Gorn to, to get over here. Okay, it wasn't so another that, universe, but it was okay. supposed to be so far off that uh, it... So it, they're like the Borg or something. Kind of, yeah. They're like in, far away, but, I, you know, okay, so we have the possibility that we might see the Gorn again, the original ones, if they can somehow travel from the far distance. Mm-hmm. Or we may end up in their neighborhood, who knows, we're going to want a five-year mission. Or we have this little colony here. Okay. Right, right. I just, I just found it interesting that the that the origin story seems to be quite different between the original and the reboot. Now, in the original, that was the first time Kirk had ever seen a Gorn, so right. I, I think that that was they were a species that they had not encountered. And I agree, but but they seem to be like, you know, at least in the outer outer fringes of uh, known Federation space. Right. Exactly. Right. So yeah, they just in this and and that's also um true in the Enterprise episode. Right. That has the Gorn. Right. So yeah, so this just puts them out a little bit further than what they were before. Okay. But it was always okay, so, kind of ambiguous, fine. so I'm okay with it. Yeah. And knowing that they actually came from a different part of our dimension is different. So that's good. That's yeah, yeah. at least a little closer cuz it was not clear from this issue itself right yeah and i think even a previous issue they talked about the gorn and they actually used the word dimension which which is not the way the game uh oh okay. portrays it so yeah because that's the impression i got uh, right maybe it's because they use the word dimension okay cool right so okay that's the last thing i have to say i i enjoyed uh seeing the gorns cool. even though we got our butts kicked by them yep yep Yep, very inconsistent with the game that these peaceful Gorn are so much more powerful than the uh, the best of the best that I fought in the game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, anything else? Uh, no. All right, well then I'll turn it over to you, sir. All right. So, this is going to be interesting because we're going to get back into uh, having Klingons and Romulans and nasty, spy, shadowy spy, Section 31 guys, and all that kind of stuff descending upon our fine crew who just want to get out on their five-year mission. Anyway, let's let's see what we got. So this is issue 25. Um, I, I'm calling it 
the Kittimer Conflict Part 1. It's pretty much what it said on the cover, even though I don't recall finding it anywhere inside the book having a title. Uh, the, the the front cover pretty much has a title, so I'm going with it. The uh, Okay, so the writer again, like normal, Mike Johnson. Um, story consultant, Roberto Orki. Art is Arfan Fajar, who was the artist on, or one of the two artists on issue 23. Colors by Sakti Yawano and Ifan Sayanor of Stellar Labs. And you know, great job everybody, but man, you got hard names. Letterer is Tom B. Long, editor Sarah uh, Gado, Gados. The regular cover shows a scowling Klingon with no helmet on. Interestingly enough, he has very straight, very strong, very white teeth. The symbol of the Klingon Empire is behind him, and the Enterprise, streaking across the page, dominates the bottom of the cover. Lettering appears at the top and tells us that this is part one of a four-parter called The Kittimer Conflict. The alternate cover, first alternate cover, is a black-and-white sketch version of the regular cover, and the second alternate cover is a photo of Kirk on the Enterprise. The story opens up on the planet Kittimer, where Klingons are working hard on constructing new colony buildings. Suddenly, many green streaks start heading down from the sky and hit the colony buildings. It's an intentional attack. The working Klingons break out disruptor rifles and ask where their ships are to protect them from an attack from space. They fire ineffectively into the sky at their attackers and eventually are blown to tiny little bits by the latest volley of green beams from space. In orbit, Romulan ships are firing downward at the defenseless Klingons. Scattered bits of Klingon defense ships float around the Romulan ships. The ruthless Romulan commander, Elnar, tells his weapons officer to continue the rate of fire and expand the target area despite the fact that sensors report all the Klingons are dead. He wants to prove to the Klingons that come upon this place that the Romulan Empire is their betters in firepower, willpower, determination, and ferocity. He says today, a war is born. Meanwhile, the Enterprise is stationed near Deep Space Starbase K-11. This is their last stop before they start their five-year mission of deep space exploration. The crew is contacting family and friends before they venture beyond the range of the Federation's subspace relay network. It is also their last chance to take on new crew. Kirk springs a surprise on Sulu by bringing his sister Yuki to the table where he and Chekhov are sitting. Sulu is not crazy about having his sister on board. Chekhov seems okay with the idea, particularly when she compliments him by saying she has heard of him. His reputation precedes him, she says. Chekhov is unaware that he even has a reputation. Kirk enjoys the fact that Yuki calls Sulu Hiki. Spock reports the ship is ready for departure, and Kirk says they are on their way to the bridge. As they are heading towards the bridge, Sulu says he does not want his sister on board because he will be distracted worrying about her safety. Kirk says he has faith that Sulu will be able to adapt 
and even will come to appreciate having his sister on board during such a long assignment. He does, however, warn Sulu to watch out for that Chekhov guy around your kid sister. Sulu is not amused. On the bridge, they are ready to depart for the great unknown. When Uhura reports a distress call, or as close to a distress call as Klingons get, is heard. It's from the planet Kittimer, just outside of Klingon space, and not far from their present location. Despite Spock's concerns their presence will be interpreted as provocative, Kirk wants to extend the olive branch after the Marcus affair and gives the order to head to Kittimer. Meanwhile, on the Romulan ship that attacked Kittimer, Commander Elnar is speaking to a shadowy figure from Section 31. Elnar extends his thanks for the weapons that made short work of the colony. The Section 31 agent says the Klingons will be forced to respond with the bulk of their fleet, and when they do that, they will be crushed by the massed Romulan and Earth forces. Talk of how to split the Klingon spoils are put off by the Section 31 representative to another day. As the Enterprise enters orbit around Kittimer, they see the debris of three shattered Klingon ships. That, and the total destruction of the colony, says a formidable force did this. Again, over Spock's warnings of the Klingons not being happy to see them there, Kirk orders a landing party to be formed to find and help survivors. They find none, and McCoy joins Spock's chorus, saying it is a bad idea to be here when the Klingons arrive. Kirk asks Carol to see if she can identify the weapon signatures that did all this damage. Spock contacts Kirk with news that five Klingon ships in a most curious configuration have just arrived. Kirk tells Spock to lock on to them and prepare to beam them back up to the ship. Before Kirk can give that word, Klingon soldiers beam down into their midst and roughs up Carol a bit before she can tell Kirk the weapons signatures that she found. Kirk asks for beam-ups now. Spock says he cannot give them, as they have raised shields. Their comms are interfered with, and Spock loses contact with the landing party. The Klingons launch weapons on the Enterprise. The Enterprise's shields hold, but are reduced down to 88%. Spock orders evasive maneuvers. On the planet, Kirk tries to explain they did not attack Kittimer. They are there to help. The Klingon removes his helmet and says, Kirk is there in a foolish bid to take Klingon territory. The Klingon laughs at Kirk's punny explanations and sucker punches him in the stomach. Kirk is on the ground trying to catch his breath. The security team is still awaiting Kirk's command to fire. The Klingon picks up Kirk by the throat and explains that he knows who Kirk is. Every Klingon knows the face of Captain Kirk. Meanwhile, in space, Sulu is trying his best to avoid the Klingons' weapons fire, but they are down to 64% shields, and they won't last forever. Sulu says they must fight back. Spock says to fire back would be an act of war. If they cannot retrieve the landing party, they must disengage and report back to Starfleet. Ahura reports an incoming hail from one of the Klingon ships. Commander Kor comes on the view screen. Kor introduces himself and thanks Spock and the crew for the great service they have done for the Empire on this fine day. 
Thank you for the great war to come. Spock explains, they mean no harm to them or to the colony. They came to render aid to the colony under attack. The landing party, Kor cuts in and says, they needn't worry about the landing party any further. Even if they had an inclination to believe the Federation would come to the aid of a Klingon colony, the identity of the landing party's leader is all the proof they need of their deception. Kor raises a piece of gold cloth with a Starfleet command insignia patch on it. He asks, is this the symbol of peace? No, it is a symbol of war. The scene pans back to show the unconscious body of James Kirk at Kor's feet. And now both sides have their first casualties. To be continued. He's dead, Jim. <laughs> you have been waiting all week to say that. <laughs> really? I just came up with it. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought I, I thought you came up with it right away. That's great. Yeah, so um, maybe the uh, little advertisement for the next issue spoils it a little bit because Kirk's <laughs> on there. <laughs> but, uh, from looking at this, he might be dead. Well, they're doing everything they can to make you think he's dead. Right. Now, when Kor says first casualties, I mean, does a casualty have to be dead? Is that the definition of casualty? Or can you also be wounded severely? I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I guess I, we'll look I always take it as being dead, but okay. uh, but you know maybe the the true definition is a little more loose than that. Right. Well. Anyway. So, Anyways. I mean, so. but you know, Kirk's not going to die. Come on. Come on. He has a little bit of blood trickling down his face and nose. Right. So I, I'm wondering, is this a good time for the um, magic con blood to make an appearance? I mean, it's it's in his it's in his bloodstream. Sure, sure. So the same way that the doctor was able to regrow a hand in the first ninth ninth doctor's adventure, I think tenth, it was the ninth. It was the tenth doctor. The tenth, okay, tenth. Uh, David Tennant, um, you know, is somehow the the magic con blood gonna help resurrect him, or was you know, or does Core really not mean he's dead because he's not dead? I don't know. I guess we'll right. find out. Or actually, you'll just have to wait. You may have found out. I do already know. Aha! Uh-huh. Aha! Uh-huh. Mr. Electronic Copy. All but right, I'm, yes. But I'm not telling. Okay, don't. I'm keen to guess. So, yeah, so. Yeah, that's a good point you brought up the cotton blood because it can fix everything now. <laughs> there's, there's no risk of death when you can just, uh, you know. Slap in some con blood, and you're you're back to life. <laughs> right. Well, again, like how it sh- how it should how it should have ended, folks said. You know, put it. I mean, between the the magic con blood and the uh, you know transwarp beaming or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like there's no reason for Star Trek to go on the way it's been going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's good stuff. That is good stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, um. As far as this issue goes, um, you know, every time I see the Klingons now, I think of Blingons. Um, oh, Blingons. Uh, <laughs> uh, the little gold. all the gold. Rings, earrings, and forehead rings, or whatever you want to call them. Right. 
not the biggest fan. Yeah, yeah. But I, I yeah. But their faces, their faces kind of look more like almost like they were burned, kind of the the yeah, like, burn, like burn scarring victims. a little bit. Yeah, that you can almost see some of the uh, the sinew of the muscle beneath their faces. Which is an interesting look. I like that, but yeah. uh, it's just you know the, a pirate. A pirate earring on the ear is one thing, but to have right. each one of your head ridges, you know, pierced with a little gold ring. Right. Um, and not the biggest fan. Plus, they're warriors. That seems like it would be a disadvantage in a fight. Ah. Maybe that's why they wear the helmets. Because ah. you don't, you <laughs> don't want, they don't want somebody to pull on the rings? Exactly. <laughs> oh, you bad Klingon. Let, let me stick my pinky into your ring on the forehead. I'm going to pull it. Wow. Yeah, a, a, I don't think you'd, I don't think you'd be able to get close enough to one, but maybe a pinky pull could take down any Klingon warrior in this continuity. Oh, there you go, it's their Achilles heel. Definitely. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they definitely went with the standard non-file uh, down teeth. Right. Which definitely we've seen Klingons without that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's interesting that they went for that. One of the many choices when they designed the new Klingons. Right. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, the at the beginning, the Kittimer colony, uh, <laughs> the Kittimer colony, the colonists, the Klingons, right. and yeah. and they're being shot from from the skies. It's like uh, we're being totally annihilated with beams of light from the sky. We can't even see who's shooting at us, and it's so far up. Yet they still pass out rifles. <laughs> and and one of the Klingons is looking at the rifle like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? And then the and then at least one of them just just aims up and just starts blah 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 blah, you know, kind of like a <laughs> was it was it Patton in the in that movie where he had the the six shooter out and he was shooting at a plane or something? I don't know what it was. I don't. I've you know, with a it. with a pistol. Anyway, which is about yeah. as effective as what the, these Klingons are doing. Yeah, kind of ridiculous. Kind of ridiculous, but they're Klingons, so they're going to fight. You know, there you go. Kapla. <laughs> you know that uh, that one Klingon that you were talking about that's kind of looking at the gun like, what, what good is this going to do me? <laughs> right. Uh, he does not have the, the ridge rings. Yeah, he's um, he's probably wimpy. Right. So what do you think of the Romulan ships that were doing the shooting with the the weird gun turrets coming out like chicken feet. Well, okay. So, I didn't realize it at first, but I assume that the gun turrets are the same turrets that were on the Vengeance. That they, right. uh, so, so that, so I guess that's the Federation advanced weaponry or whatever that was helping them out. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting, having those movable, you know, pods that were able to fire directly, you know, point directly down at the planet and fire downward. Now, the rest of the ship, I thought was very interesting. Because yeah. uh, I thought that was I thought that was an interesting design. I, I, very interesting what bits they chose to take from the original uh, Taz series, and what mm-hmm. bits they took from Next Gen. I thought it was very interesting ship design. Right. But when your ship looks like a bird, you yeah. really don't want two turrets coming out where the feet would be that look like feet chicken that, feet that are shooting so it looks like these birds are flying around shooting out of their feet and it just it looks <laughs> ridiculous 
Well, I didn't. I didn't take it that way. But yeah, I can definitely see what you mean. Yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not used to having big, you know, big swiveling weapons like that. Right. Um, you, you don't you know, need on starships. It. Right. Well, but yeah, because basically the the beam weapons or whatever is built into the ship. But obviously, these are big guns. These are BFGs, baby, and uh, they really stick out of the ship. Right. Yeah, not a fan. Yeah. Not a fan. So, Section 31 has access to amazing uh, torpedo technology and, what are these, super phasers? I mean, what are they? They didn't actually say, but uh, they seem to be extremely powerful um, you know, directed energy weapons. Yeah, I think super phasers work. Yeah. So, well, they made short work of the three Klingon ships. Definitely, yep. Um, and the and the Kittimer colony. Yeah, of course, it was a defenseless colony, but still, um, you know. It, so, did these have clo- did these guys have cloaking technology? Have they established that? I don't remember. I don't remember. Well, no, not that I know of. Okay, so it's not like they just popped out of nowhere and then took out the three ships. I mean. The Klingon ships probably knew they were coming, even though they probably came in very fast. But still, um, the fact they tore them up pretty good means uh, that looks like some advanced weaponry. Right. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I can't remember if we've ever seen... I don't know if we've seen any type of uh, um, cloaking device in this continuity. Yeah. Good point. Anyway. The main point is, we got some kick-ass weapons. <laughs> Section 31 does, anyway. And they're giving it out to the Romulans. This is so weird. Right. This is just so weird that we're in bed with the Or the Section 31 is, anyway. In bed with the Romulans. Jeez. Against the Klingons. It's just just weird. All right. But cool. Yeah, and then we keep poking, poking, the, poking the Klingons. Are you going to attack us yet? You going to attack us yet? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, here in a minute they're going to. Yeah. Well, oh, well actually, know. they did in this issue. They finally poked the bear. Right. Yeah. And uh, and I would think that Station K11 is gonna <laughs> be a pretty tempting target for them. But I guess we'll find out in the next issue. I I, I really like the core dialogue at the end. His little monologue. Mm, or yeah. well, his conversation well, with Spock? his conversation with Spock. Right. I think I think the writers said, you know, Core is going to have fun with this. Core, you know, we don't want to write this boring. Let's let's have Core just have fun with it. <laughs> so I, I, I love how he opened, you know, thanking Spock. Right. You know, for, you know, for everything you've done for us on this day. And it's like, oh, wow. Maybe they really do think we came to help. Not... <laughs> Right. Nice fake out, Core. <laughs> yeah, he kind of reminds me of Bane in the uh, Dark Knight Rises movie. Oh, just, just uh-huh. being very talkative and yes, having then, very good dialogue. Yeah, and then yeah. I, you you almost said it word for word the there towards the end. Does this look like the symbol of peace? Yeah. No, this is a symbol of war. Exactly. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I thought, and that's why I, I wanted to do more of the, 
the dialogue, but mm-hmm. yeah, at least the parts good. I thought that was best. Very good. Yes. Because so, I thought that was building quite nicely at the end. Right, right. And let's hope it uh, continues into issue 26. <laughs> let's <laughs> hope so, right. Yeah, because they, they built it up pretty good here. Right, um, definitely. So so is Kirk just a hopeless optimist, or is he dumb? That's a loaded question. Because, geez, everybody's telling him. Spock's telling him. McCoy's telling him. You know, you're just a starry-eyed dreamer there, Kirk. Why? Yeah. About what? About uh, uh, being about... able to have peace? Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> you you show up at a Klingon colony that's just been attacked, ships floating everywhere. You already pissed them off once during the Marcus incident, and you're going to hang around? I mean, yes, if you would have actually found somebody alive that you could help, well, maybe. But then, you know, Carol was just getting ready to tell him, you know, hey, this is all wep- this is uh this is Federation technology, weapon signatures. So, right. of course, that would have been the icing on the cake. I mean, I certainly hope Kirk would have left after that, but. <laughs> so doesn't this remind you of those uh, original series uh, story that, that finished off the DC Comics? Oh, well, we haven't talked about it yet. That uh, we'll be covering in episode 148. Right. So. Yep. Yep. Uh, not to spoil any of that, but uh, this, this storyline is very reminiscent of that storyline that came out 20 years yep. earlier. Yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, third parties making it look like the Federation did things or the Klingons did things or the Romulans did things to each other and manipulating the situation and and stoking the coals of war. Yeah, dang. So here's another one. (laughs) So we were commenting how often that came up. Well, whatever. (laughs) It, It just so happens we're all hitting those same comics. Right. Uh, that were that were written year, decades apart from each other. Exactly. Well, decades. Well, one decade. Yeah. No, I think it's been two. We're old, Ken. Oh yeah, decades. Well, <laughs> 90, right, nineties, ninety-five, yeah, ninety-six, ninety-four, ninety-five. Yeah. yeah. Right. Meh. Luck of the draw. Yeah. Well, between that theme and saving a world from being destroyed by an asteroid or something or a volcano, mm-hmm. very, <laughs> you know, very common themes t- tend to pop up. Right. So you were talking earlier about cloaking device. Um, yeah. Do they even need a cloaking device anymore? Because you can enter warp space and then just pop out very close to wherever you're supposed to go, and nobody sees you coming, anyways. So. Well, that's a, that's the thing I always wondered about warp drive. Period. I mean, even in Taz. I mean, uh, did, no one seemed to say. At least I don't remember them ever saying in Taz, ooh, you got to come in, you know, way away from the sun or way away from a ga- gravity well or something. Right. I mean, in theory, you know, you could, I mean, as long as you got your warp calculations right, if I could just throw in a little Star Warsism in there, um, you know, you could pop up pretty close to a planet and you're coming in at a really fast speed, so. Right. Uh, I would have thought you could always could have done that, but whatever. Right, but the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek is that in Star Wars you're in a different dimension, right? You're in hyperspace, which is well, you, you know, can't, I, you know, you're completely cut yeah. off from both incoming and outgoing communications right. and transmissions and things. Whereas Star Trek, it was always supposed to be 
you really are in that space. You're just moving faster than the speed of light well, in yeah, your little well, warp bubble. Yeah, you've warped space around you right. to allow you to travel at faster than yeah, faster right. than light travel. But I don't think the J.J. Abrams universe seems to work in that same manner. It seems to be more the um, the Babylon 5 model, the Star Wars model, uh, a lot of other science fiction franchise model, right? That you're you somehow what? I don't like it. You 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 don't like it. You do like it. I do not like it. It needs to you go don't back. Like to, it. Okay. Go back to the way it was. <laughs> right. It was, good, it was good enough for forty something years. It's good enough now. Right. God, <laughs> gosh darn it. <laughs> and of course you're saying that, you know, being a a big time uh, Star Wars fanboy too. Sure, but I like both franchises, and I don't think yeah. one franchise should start changing their trying to mirror the other one too much. Yeah. I, I tend to agree. Although I will say, of all the big-time science fiction franchises, I, I'm i sure maybe there's another one that does that, but I don't know of any other major franchise that, uh, you know, that does a warp drive, a warp bubble, that doesn't do some kind of a hyperspace thing. Because... Um... Because, yeah. hmm. of course, in the end, um, if Einstein is right and you cannot travel beyond the speed of light, then um, then you need to be out of – you need to be out of the um, – you have to be out of known space. Unless you had a warp field bubble that allows you to warp, warp space. space around you. Yeah, but – right. <laughs> No, I get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. But I always thought, you know, Next Generation always had a good explanation for it. They did? The whole warp bubble thing, because I don't oh, remember yeah. them ever talking about that in Taz, but I do well, but that already kind of giving yeah. me a little physics lesson about why how, why it should work, and I bought it. <laughs> Jordy would not wow. lie to me. No, he's my friend. <laughs> um, Yeah. I am fine with warp drive. Always have been. So, um, just because everybody else goes the alternate space route doesn't mean we have to. Exactly. Damn it. I agree. All right. So we're we're saying the same thing. Yeah. But the but also the idea that everybody travels the same speed in you know in the in whatever they're calling it now. Um. What what is he? What what are they calling it now? What, warp the, space. I mean, what? Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember them ever calling it anything other than warp. Yeah, warp drive. You're in a warp bubble. Yeah. Right. Okay. Anyway, and on. if you're in the warp bubble, there's no way a ship could ever pass you. Ooh, but the vengeance can. Oh, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I hated that. Well, it, yeah, I don't I don't like that either. Now, if you're trying to say that. Because Babylon 5 and everybody else, if you're in hyperspace, I mean, you're in some alternate dimension, alternate place that is not our normal our normal space. Right. So why couldn't you go at different speeds? I, I don't know. But whatever. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, we should move on. And I'm not even going to start to talk about how they move around... Uh, 
on the Old Man's War series of books. I've never read by those, John so Scalzi. I, I would not know. I'm not even going to get into that. It's a very interesting uh, way of moving around the galaxy, but I'm not going to talk about it. All right. And I'm not going to talk about Dune and how through the use of spice they are able to fold space. I'm not even going to talk about that. <laughs> okay. You going to bring up another one? Halo? No, I'm done. How does Halo do it? I don't remember. Halo seems a lot like um, Star Wars. Star Wars? Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um... My last comment is that uh, I, I like the uh, the Narada Klingon hybrid ships. I think we talked about that last time. Right. Yeah, I think they look they look pretty cool. And let me make sure that I'm not getting this confused with the other issue. Wait one second. No problem. So they do show another um, Section Thirty One gentleman in this issue. It's 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 not the woman. Right. But, uh, his it, face well, is awesome. Yeah, it appears. So, it appears to be a guy. But do we know it's a guy? Mm. Again, in shadows. Yeah, well, we see a pretty much half of his face. Oh, okay. It doesn't okay. look like a woman. Okay. So, and it doesn't look like April either. So. Right. I don't know. Well, definitely there aren't only two people in Section Thirty One. So, exactly. what do you think? What do you think about the looks of? Um, of the the looks of the commander, the Romulan commander, with the tattoo and goatee. Yeah, is is that a yeah? I guess that is a goatee. I was calling it a really big soul patch, but uh, yeah, I guess it's a goatee. Right. Yeah, his little soul patch. Yeah. Yeah. So why are they tattooed? I thought that was a Nero thing. That they... I, I I don't know, but I think that in this guy's case, the little the little like things under his eyes, the little triangles under his eyes, and then the uh, curly Q kind of um, tattoo on his forehead. It just looks a little effeminate. I don't know. It just it, it, it doesn't. I, do I'm not it digging it. it. I'm not digging it. And 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 the and the Romulan's face looks just it looks like a baby's face. This guy looks young. I don't know. Right. He is Vulcan, so they age slower. But yes, okay. he does look young. He just uh and. We've seen other Romulans and other issues that they look pretty cool, you know, pretty good. Um, oh, he's fine. He's fine. I just, you know, not 100% a fan. Right. Well, I could see that. I think the uh, the bridge that he's on is kind of interesting, weird. Uh, I think I would go crazy looking at that wallpaper all the time. Wallpaper. Yeah, it looks like a circuit. So, um, what page? Again, oh, no yeah, pages. right. But there's one shot where he's sitting on at the con, and mm-hmm. they show a moderate amount of the bridge, and the walls just look weird green colors and stuff. The floors too. Yeah. But, but yeah, it looks like a motherboard type green right. panel. Yep, some kind of a, a green right. Especially the walls look like circuit boards, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't notice that the first time. Good point. Uh, Carol does seem to be taking a lot of beatings, doesn't she? Yep, she gets smacked around every issue. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, in the movie when we first meet her, I mean, right. did, does, did Khan actually break her leg? Yeah, he right. stepped on it. He stepped on it, broke her leg. You jerk. And then um, 
And then this Klingon at the end grabs her by the throat and throws her around like a ragdoll. Poor Carol. <laughs> right. I thought that was funny. Yeah. I was definitely getting flashbacks to right. Into Darkness. Right. And that's a really short skirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they stuck with that, actually. Yeah. It's one of those good things they brought from the uh, Taz world. That's really about all I have to say. Uh, I, I thought it was a, you know, a good issue. Um, yeah. A few things are not perfect, but that's okay. Uh, right. It looks pretty. Pretty good drawing, although, again, on this one, I think some of the faces aren't 100% right, but still. Uh, the ships look great. Great. And did you notice this is the first ongoing issue that does not have the Starfleet swoosh on the cover? Oh. Well, they're definitely... Yeah, so instead it has the Klingon symbol. Right. Yep. I thought hmm. that was interesting. I did not notice that. I, I, I know that most of these issues have a big old swoosh in there somewhere. Yeah, but, they all do um, so far. I did not know all of them did. Right. So yeah. I really thought that, you know, part two would have the Romulan logo. Hmm. But that uh, makes sense. It, it went back to Starfleet. Oh. Ah. Well. But maybe the third one. I mean, it is a four-parter. Exactly. And there are more than one party involved. Right. So, anyways, all right, well, uh, then we will uh, head over to Expanded Universe real quick. Okay. If you don't have anything else. No. This is July, August, and September of 2013. Right. I'm going to mention these books, but I have not read any of them, so I'm not going to be able to give you a lot of uh, info. They're pretty recent. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in uh, July... There was an original series novel, and it says original series, but I don't necessarily know how much of Kirk and Company is in it. It's called From History's Shadow by Dayton Ward. Hmm. And this, much like the um, Eugenics War um, series, is set in the current day. Um, or actually, it might be set even further back, like in the 40s, where the whole Roswell incident and things like that are still fresh. And I think it has Gary Seven in it. Hmm. Cool. Um, so maybe uh, maybe Kirk's in it. I don't know. I have not read it yet. But it sounds a lot like some of the Gary Seven stuff we talked about um, a few years back with the, that uh, those episodes. Our Gary Seven series. Right. Which we both enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. So I might actually uh, try to find this one since it doesn't look like it ties into any other larger continuity. Um, after that, there was uh, in August, starts off a new series of novels that's going to cross over Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, Titan. Uh, this was the first. Uh, the series is called The Fall, and this book is called Revelation and Dust by David R. George III. <laughs> and uh, this one's based mostly in Deep Space Nine um, continuity. But uh, in September, uh, issue number or book number two comes out called The Crimson Shadow by Una McCormick. And this looks like it's uh, mostly Next Generation. Hmm. So the Enterprise E. So these are all based, you know, well after Nemesis. Right. Uh, actually, getting pretty close to when Romulus is, start, is supposed to start exploding. So kind of curious to see if they're going to go all the way up to that point and then 
maybe a little beyond to see what happens in the normal continuity after Romulus is destroyed. Hmm. So I have a lot of reading to do to get caught up to all this. Just can't find the time. Uh, I can hear. I hear you there, man. <laughs> I hear you, man. I, there's just too much out there to read, and it sounds like good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, like some of those uh, Starfleet Academy young person novels. Probably won't get around to those, but some of these you're talking about sound pretty good. <laughs> right. Well, the Starfleet Academy that's based in the the new continuity were actually pretty good. Um, they're they're normal sized novels, even though they're still called Starfleet Academy. And right. I think they're still quote unquote young adult books, but they're oh. you know still three hundred something pages. Hmm. So it's not like the old ones where they were like little eighty seven paged, uh, truly kid books with giant print like the uh, Nog and Jake ones and things like that right. that we've we've been talking about. Right. All right. Well, that that finishes up this episode, and um, t- next week. We got a surprise for everybody. We're okay. doing, we're finally doing the Doctor Who Star Trek crossover. Yay! So we're doing this in celebration of the Doctor Who 50th anniversary, which is mm-hmm. in November. Right. So we thought it was a good time to give the Doctor a little love and Star Trek a little love in the same episode. Exactly. Especially since these. Issues have been out for a little while, and I know I've had mine for quite a while. Have you ever have you read them yet? I've I only, have read them. I've only read the first issue, so I have read them all. Oh wow! So I'm looking forward to talking about them. Well, make sure you don't give away spoilers too fast for people who are reading. I will. Two I will issues try not to. A week. I, I I try not to give spoilers. I will venture opinions that may or may not come to fruition. Uh, when I when I don't know what's going to happen, but if I know it, I don't tell it. <laughs> Unless, of course, it's Donovan. So, in addition to doing, uh, we're only going to do two issues next week. So, just the crossover number one and crossover number two, and uh, we're going to have a guest host, and so that'll be fun. And if uh, if things go as planned, we may have a guest host for all four of the uh, episodes that we're going to use to cover cover these eight issues. It's always good to have uh, guests from the listening audience come in and take part in the discussion. Right. So my only fear is that uh, we may get some guests that may know more of what? Doctor Who and what? maybe Sacrilege. more of Star Trek than we do. So we got to be careful. Sacrilege, my lad. Sacrilege. So anyways, it'll be fine. Looking forward to next week. Yes. Alright, so with that, we'll close up and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. 
Let's get the hell out of here.